Once upon a time, two friends began sharing their dreams, literally. We wrote them down in the wee hours and unpacked them with each other via text upon waking, finding inspiration in their symbolism. Our dreams taught us that divine fingerprints are everywhere and can illuminate a path to Jesus Christ. I am Sarah. And I am Megan. And this is Dreamsicle. Join us as we learn to pay attention and find revelation for our lives hiding in plain sight. So, I had this dream. Let's hear it. Okay, so in my dream, I was walking around the west side of Salt Lake City, and I was looking for a very specific building, and people were pointing me in all different directions. And I went into this little building... And it was a very modern temple. And so I was like, while I'm here, I will do an endowment session. (laughs) Might as well. (laughs) So I sat down and as I was sitting there, at one point they opened these curtains and there was a panel of glass. And it was really curious to me. I was, it was something I'd never seen before. And I was like a floor to ceiling panel. Floor to ceiling, wall to wall, Mm. separating us from this other space. And behind the glass, there were men in dark suits working on something. It was like they were all very engaged in what they were doing and totally unaware of me or any of the other people on the other side of the glass. So I got up to approach the glass and I was... I don't know. I kind of wondered if they would notice me as I approached the glass, which they didn't. But also, as I looked through, there was a wall beyond them. There was just like this natural light coming from the room that I was in, and it was shining through the glass. And the glass was creating these reflections and like refractions and kind of like almost like a crystal, like little rainbows kind of glistening Mm. on the on the far wall and I was just fascinated that all these people were surrounded by this kind of beautiful amazing thing of like these little glimpses of light and little shimmering patches of dancing light and they were oblivious to it they were not mindful of it they weren't paying attention it seemed like they didn't care or they they weren't even looking for it I could see it and So as I woke up, I wondered if sometimes we are also in that state of being too concerned with what we're involved in to kind of see some of the signs that come from our heavenly parents that either show us truth or beauty or love or that we are connected to them. I think that's one of my top five favorite dreams of yours. I love it. (laughs) So just like the light that was dancing on the far wall beyond these people, we know that signs are something that show us the reality of God and the involvement of our heavenly parents in our lives here, even though we know there is a separation. Signs are events or experiences that demonstrate the power of God. Sometimes they're miraculous. I think often they are. And sometimes they're small and they're more like just for us. And sometimes they 
are really, really big. Think about like stars appearing at certain times. Yeah, like all the signs for the events surrounding Christ's birth and his death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, those are really big signs. But I think if our eyes are open to them, we can see smaller signs in our own lives too. And they may not even feel small. They might feel really profound. Also in the Gospel Topics essay, it notes that such signs are given to those who are faithful and obedient to strengthen them in their faith and to help them carry out the will of God, which I think kind of calls to mind this important distinction between demanding a sign or being given a sign. And the distinction, as it's defined in the scriptures, is that a true sign isn't something that we necessarily are demanding in order to confirm our faith. It's something that follows our faith. So it's a really a gift just to kind of confirm our belief. Right. And often to comfort us. I had kind of like an experience with, it wasn't like I was demanding a sign, but I do think I kind of got into trouble because I really had an expectation for how a specific experience would look and how God would be involved in it. And (laughs) it did not end up that way at all. When I was getting ready for the birth of my son, George, I just had, I mean, I think there is a lot of value to like planning and manifesting and visualizing like good things happening, like how you hope they will. I don't know if birth is one of those times. Not. You just have to kind of get <laughs> <Really> through it. <laughs> but well, there's just so many variables that are out of your control despite your planning. Yes. Anyway, in this instance, I really wanted it to be like a spiritually connective experience. I wanted to feel like close to my heavenly parents. I was hoping to feel like the influence of ancestors. I just had this image in my mind of how it would play out and it it absolutely did not. And then <laughs> I mean it, yeah, it was I mean, full of complications. You broke, you broke your tailbone. <laughs> yes. It was Shoot. it did not it did not go well. I got a, a healthy baby and I survived. So that was great. <laughs> there was a point in the birth where I was so frustrated and felt really abandoned, spiritually abandoned. I don't know. And I I do wonder in retrospect like it wasn't I like I said, I don't think I was demanding a sign, but I was I just had like this expectation. I think that's mm. not like a super healthy thing to do, <laughs> especially with regards to like our spiritual experiences, even though like things didn't work out how I had envisioned them. There was this point, like I said, where I was feeling super like spiritually abandoned and I was like really sad and mad about how things were progressing and that I wasn't getting this experience that I had longed for and I felt like I had prepared for. And I remember like closing my eyes and being like, where are you? <laughs> like a, a prayer. And and then I opened my eyes and I had my husband and a great doctor and my doula who became a really close friend. And like I had the angels around me that I needed. They just didn't show up in like the way that I had anticipated. So I think we can do ourselves a disservice when we have a scripted view of how 
a specific situation might look. I think we need to like just be open and let God show up how he will. With our eyes open, we can see all of that involvement and be receptive to it. Yeah. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord tells us that signs are a way that heaven communicates with us. It's it's just like a reality. In Doctrine and Covenants section 35, it says, For I am God, and mine arm is not shortened, and I will show miracles, signs, and wonders unto all those who believe on my name. I mean, it's just, that's part of what we believe, that we will see signs. I think that oftentimes we have a church culture where we don't typically feel really comfortable with the word sign. We feel more comfortable using phrases like tender mercies or by divine design or just like a prompting or a feeling. And I I think that's fine. I mean, I think they all reference the same thing, but the term sign isn't something bad. It just simply is something that God says he uses. Right. And it's more Um, like all-encompassing, I feel like. Right. Like a tender mercy is one type of a sign. Mm -hmm. Right. I I don't know if this is the case, but I, I suspect that maybe we shy away from the term sign because it calls to mind people like Korahor from the Book of Mormon who demanded signs like as they were trying to disprove, you know, Jesus Christ and they didn't have, he, he wasn't operating from a foundation of faith. In Alma chapter 30, it says, Alma said unto him, referring to Korahor, thou hast had signs enough. Will you tempt your God? Will ye say, show unto me a sign when ye have the testimony of all these thy brethren and also all the holy prophets? And then he goes and he like outlines all of the things, the scriptures, the earth, everything on the earth, the motion of the earth, the planets, like all of these things witness that there is a supreme creator. Yeah. So in this story, in this passage, we see Alma like refuting this idea of, I want a sign for you to prove to me that there is a God, like show me, if you believe there's a God, show me. And Alma just, you know, takes that and turns it back around and says, literally everything around you is proof of that. And this is like a prideful thing that you're asking. I think if we like generalize the story to ourselves, I don't know that we're always doing what Korohor is doing here. I don't know that we're trying to disprove the presence of God in our lives, but maybe sometimes we are missing those really kind of omnipresent, obvious signs that are around us that demonstrate God's love for us and His reality. It's like, maybe the earth is one of our signs. Like, Oh, I think so. Yeah. Whenever I watch one of those like documentaries about the planet, and it's like talking about like the Sahara, the sands of the Sahara that blow across the Atlantic Ocean and like fertilize the Amazon and (laughs) how everything works together so perfectly to make the earth function as it does. I'm like, there is divinity behind like every inch of this. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. So my friend Anne 
had a story that she wrote about one time where her dear friend, Sharon, had passed away kind of at a young age after a debilitating disease. And she kind of like told her family, like, if you ever see buttons after I'm gone, like that's going to be me like sending you a love letter. Cause she was like into, you know, sewing and it was, she's like, that's just like the thing. Just watch for the buttons. It means I'm there. And so like whenever they like find a spare button, like in a pocket of a coat or like on the ground in a parking lot, it's just like, Oh, it's, it's her. Anyway. So my friend, Anne wrote this, really nice piece about how she was really missing Sharon and just thinking like, like there are no buttons. I am seeing no buttons and she's not here and I'm sad. And she said, right as she did that, she, she looked up at her windowsill and her daughter-in-law had made her this like really cute bouquet of like fabric flowers and they were covered in buttons everywhere. (laughs) Like the entire thing was just an explosion of buttons and she just saw that like oh it's right in front of me she is here and this is my sign and like she felt it and I think sometimes we do that it's like we want something I don't know so big or, or so specific and it might already be there we might just not be aware of it yet I love it Another term that we tend to use maybe in place of signs or synonymous with it is a witness. And I mean, it it is kind of the same concept. In Ether chapter 12, Moroni says, I would show unto the world that faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. Wherefore, dispute not because ye see not, for ye receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. So this kind of speaks to that idea of we have to have a sense of belief before we're going to receive a witness that it's then true. Like we have to take that first step into the dark kind of just of our own volition. That's the faith part. So a witness is like a statement or any other kind of evidence that something is true. I mean, I think we all know what a witness feels like. We've probably experienced it, you know, hearing someone bear testimony or at other times it's like, you just know we can kind of see the importance and the value of witnesses, including multiple witnesses to confirm something when we look at the history of the church and the restoration. Almost every important event that happened with the restoration of the gospel followed a pattern of having multiple witnesses testify of their truthfulness. It was like in the mouth of multiple witnesses and Everything was confirmed to people so that it wasn't just one one time event that everything was based off of. I think I've tried to be more aware of witnesses in my own life. And I've definitely noticed as I've kind of developed a greater sensitivity to like spiritual impressions that I'm able to see not only when I'm getting some kind of like personal revelation, but then seeing multiple like second and third witnesses to me that confirm that revelation. And it's powerful. In my patriarchal blessing, it says a bunch of stuff about how to use my time. Like it gives me like counsel 
on how to use my time and how to like spend my energy, which as I get older, I realize is like this really limited resource (laughs) (laughs) to be careful with and like conserving my strength and my energies, like where to spend time and like with who. And anyway, so it says all of these good things that kind of have cautioned me or, or guided me during my life. And just in recent years, I've had so many witnesses in the form of dreams and other impressions that have reinforced those concepts from my patriarchal blessing. Last spring, we were in the middle of the super fun quarantine. I had a dream that was incredibly vivid. In the dream, I understood that I was teaching my very last college writing class. This was the last one. And I was just wrapping it up and um, talking to students. They were coming up and like thanking me. And we were just, you know, exchanging goodbyes. And then I went to leave the classroom and I couldn't find my, my messenger bag, like my laptop bag that had just everything in it, all of my stuff. Like I could not find it anywhere. And there was like another class coming in and I kind of just like, stumbled outside like confused and my husband picked me up like I don't know why he never gave me rides to and from campus but the dream so I I told him in the car I said I can't find my bag like I don't have my computer I don't have any of my stuff and he's like oh well I'll take you back I mean I'm sure it's in there just you know you can go in and find it so he drove me back and I went in the room incidentally there was another class in there and uh, anyway, there were some other details, but they waved me in and said like, yeah, sure, go ahead, look for it. And I started like poking around in corners and I couldn't find it. And then I noticed like a window in the back of the room and there were like some curtains hanging and I I just pushed one of them aside and I saw it. I saw my bag and it was like three or four times its actual size. It was much bigger and it was like, it was open and it was just packed solid, like with all of the things. It was just fully stocked. And I said to myself in the dream, oh, I found it. I found my purpose. <laughs> and I had like this intense, like spiritual confirmation. Like I felt it in my body. You know, it was like the warmth and the tingling. And before this, I had been questioning what my purpose was, like how I was spending my time and what I was doing. And I felt that I had something to do. I had more to give. And I didn't know what that was or what it should look like. Like I did not feel spiritually settled. And in the dream, I had like this sense that whatever it was, I would find it. And that it was actually like right here all along and that I would be ready for it. So that to me felt like a witness that confirmed something that I'd already learned from my patriarchal blessing, something that I'd already pondered and was like trying to live, but I felt like I kind of needed some more direction. Anyway, that was not like the the last of the dreams that like <laughs> guiding me on how to do my life. But that was one of the most profound <laughs> So dreams like this one like have been this recurring theme where I've seen signs from my heavenly parents like giving me comfort, giving me guidance, kind of doing that thing that it says in Doctrine and Covenants 
section six, when we read, did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? It was like, I knew that that dream and like finding my messenger bag slash purpose in the windowsill <laughs> stocked full of stuff. Like that didn't come from me. It was like reemphasizing what God had already told me years before when I was 16 and, and got my blessing. As a young adult, I was confronted with a lot of decisions about how to spend my time in kind of a, a broader sense because I graduated from BYU. I was not married. <laughs> I had decisions to make about where I was going to live and, you know, jobs and things like that that felt really big and important. And I think especially when you are single, like every decision feels like so heavy and weighty and like, do I stay here or do I go to this place? Like, will my husband be there? (laughs) 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 I mean, that sounds really desperate, but I think, you know, you're, you're trying to like thoughtfully make these kinds of decisions. Um, So before I graduated, I had, I had like one internship to do after graduation and it was all set up to be in Portland, Oregon at an ad agency to get like my final credit. And then I had also always had like this dream. BYU had like an advertising internship program in New York City and I had gotten an internship through that program too. But I didn't I didn't need it. But I was like, well heck yeah, I'm gonna go live in New York. <laughs> so in the spring before I graduated, I knew I had like these two internships lined up. But I was also thinking about like long term, I thought maybe one of those internships would, you know, turn into a full time job. But there was this other thing that really intrigued me. It was another internship and it was in Brussels, Belgium. And Mm. I was like, well, that would be fun. (laughs) So um, I applied and they interviewed me and then I never heard back. And I was like, I guess they didn't like my interview. (laughs) But I was super excited to go like live in Portland and then New York. And while I was living in Manhattan, I got an email one day from the people in Belgium talking about my anticipated arrival in six weeks. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, suddenly I had this decision to make. I had left my internship in Portland on very good terms. And they said, whenever you're ready let us know. We will write up a job offer for you. Um, I loved living in New York. I did not love my job there, but I was like, okay, is it time to settle down or do I take this one last fleet-footed opportunity to go live abroad for several months? So I was like trying to prayerfully make this decision and like very quickly because (laughs) they were planning on me apparently. They had somehow failed to communicate that I got the internship. (laughs) Um, But I lived in Washington Heights, which is like way uptown in Manhattan. And like, I think it was a day I was fasting about this decision. And I came home and my apartment building had this thing where like you come in the front and there's like a lobby and there was a fireplace with a mantle and people would just like, put stuff on the mantle that they were getting rid of. (laughs) Hmm. Um, So it was like a 
take it and leave it kind of thing. Um, so you're like free to take whatever was on the mantle if it interested you. I came in the apartment and there on the mantle, the only thing was a purple paperback book of French poetry. <laughs> mm. And I was like, boom, <laughs> there's my sign. I'm going to Brussels. <laughs> I knew I knew that was my answer. <laughs> so after the French poetry, I went down to the little market and bought some European chocolate. And then I called the airline and booked my flight. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Some other random apartment dweller in my building. I love it. Had left their book there and it meant everything to me. It was like, I totally saw it as they a were sign. Just working in God's service. Yeah. Exactly. That story of yours that I love so much reminds me of this quote by Elder Rasband, who said, Our lives are like a chessboard, and the Lord moves us from one place to another if we are responsive to spiritual promptings. Looking back, we can see his hand in our lives. And, like, I, I mean, I guess you could have come in and seen that little purple book of French poems and been like, that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to make my own choice. <laughs> but you did. You felt this like you had been asking and being prayerful about it. And and you just knew like, that was your confirmation. Yeah. That's the cool thing. Um, signs are kind of like miracles in that they don't always speak to everyone. Maybe only the person that is receptive to them. Yeah. So when I was in high school, a friend of mine um, joined the church, and she was a grade older than me, and I think it was like one of the first times she was like really prayerfully like trying to make a big decision, and it was about college. So she had gotten in a few places, and she like knelt down and prayed, asking God to help her know where to go and then she got up and like went for a run and like as soon as she left her house there was a van that drove by that said go air force on it <laughs> it was like painted on the side and um the air force academy is one of the places that she had gotten in and oh wow so that like made her decision for her and she felt like it was this really direct answer to her prayer and i remember like my friends and I that were like, you know, that were already members of the church that had kind of like guided her through this process. We're like, it's not always like that. <laughs> but what a cool way to like, kind of, I love it. start it's so big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's like not an easy school to get into. Like, yeah. bravo to her. That's yeah, great. This reminds me of a quote by President Monson. He was speaking to um, Elder Worthland, and he said, There is a guiding hand above all things. Often, when things happen, it is not by accident. One day, when we look back at the seeming coincidences of our lives, we will realize that perhaps they weren't so coincidental after all. I love that. Yeah, the idea of things not being coincidental is like one of the key points, I think, in opening our spiritual eyes and recognizing the signs that heaven is putting in front of us, like not dismissing them as coincidence, 
when clearly, like, they're a sign from heaven for us. This is what Elder Neil A. Maxwell said about this. None of us ever fully utilizes the people opportunities allocated to us within our circles of friendship. You and I may call these intersectings coincidence. This word is understandable for mortals to use, but coincidence is not an appropriate word to describe the workings of an omniscient God. He does not do things by coincidence, but by divine design. And I think that that is so true, especially if you like look backward at your life and you're able to see some of the times when something seemed so fortuitous and coincidental when actually it was just this giant blessing that was placed right in your path. I had one of those. I mean, I've had many, but one that comes to mind, I feel like all I do is talk about when we placed Jack in residential care. It's like, <laughs> but it was such a it pivotal was a big thing. It was such a big thing in our lives. Anyway, so... When that, I mean, I've talked before about like the miracle of how quickly it was approved. And from the time that we started pursuing it to the time he was placed was just three weeks, which is like unheard of. It was so fast. And in those three weeks, I didn't have any helpers. I didn't have any like supportive. No one was available. Oh my gosh. No one. Everyone who had worked for us in like a respite care or a behavior therapy kind of setting had, was unavailable. And I was like, okay, well, we may not last until he gets placed. Like, I don't even know what's going to happen. And my friend Heather said to me, oh, you should check with Emma. And I was like, what? And she said, Emma, uh, she works at the school because our boys were in the same class at the same school. She was an aide in Jack's classroom and her, her sister, Emma's sister was Jack's teacher. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, is that even going to work? I'd probably have to, you know, have her get a background check and fingerprinted and that could take three weeks. And she said, no, she's ready to go. She's in the system. She's worked for us. And Emma called me just, I heard you need help. I could start whenever you want. You want me to come tomorrow? Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And she knew Jack because she worked with him at school. She loved Jack. She was not afraid of his behaviors. Like a lot of people would were kind of terrified of him. And she was just like this little petite woman who was like unafraid it. and just thought Jack was great. And she came to my house every single day for those three weeks. She was just happened to be placed in my life right at this like pivotal moment where I was not surviving. Like we couldn't do it. And she came every day and we talked about books because she loves to read and it was so fun. And she would help Jack make cookies or brownies. We'd go on these long rides because Jack loved rides. And really Emma is the way that we got through the three weeks. And honestly, right after that time, she moved away to school and everything changed. And it was like, she was just there and perfect and helped us with everything we needed. She was just like a gift. And to me, like that was a sign of God's love for us. And like their knowledge that I was maxed out and I couldn't give anything more. Like I needed help. And they sent Emma. Amazing. I love I it. She's so cute. 
<laughs> I would have. I want. I wanted her to be my daughter. I'm like, just move in. Like, oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that too that like sometimes when certain people show up it's just it feels like this sign of love from your heavenly parents this happened to me like what was it two years ago it was around this time of year and I remember it was like a Wednesday that (laughs) here's another phone story from Sarah (laughs) so I was on Instagram and this account that I followed like tagged this other person who was like a nurse and she was teaching about like how to save your baby if they were choking. So it's like super valuable information. So I watched like her little story on it. And then something about her account just like drew me in. And I don't often like do a deep dive on a stranger's account on Instagram. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) That's why social media exists. (laughs) Sometimes I do, <laughs> but, but like over the course of the next couple of days, I was like reading, not even, not just like looking through her posts, but like reading her captions. Like, I don't know. I was just like really drawn to this person. And so my daughter has some serious gut issues that like doctors have never been able to figure out. And in um, one of her stories, she was talking about like how her daughter also had some issues and they had tried all these different things and so I was like ordering the probiotic that she recommended and um she like found a lot of success with celery juice and so I was like I'm gonna try this like why not (laughs) so it was like Saturday I went to the store I bought a ton of celery (laughs) so I came home from the grocery store I set my groceries down I ran across the street to like get my daughter from a friend's house. And then my husband texted me and he said, I think Betty's having a seizure. So I came home. um, She was having a seizure. And we ended up in an ambulance to go to the emergency room at Primary Children's Hospital. We walk in. She's like, Betty is on the stretcher. And we go to like trauma room two. And there our trauma nurse is this girl I have been oh my god following for like a couple of days only but like the first thought I had was like my celery is still on the counter <laughs> like <laughs> I was like what are the chances like <laughs> so unfortunately like it took several hours to get Betty's seizure to stop um but when things had calmed down I was like um are you? Are you the celery juice lady? <laughs> I was like, I think I just started following you on Instagram. And she's like, oh, really? And and I told her that I had celery on the counter at home. <laughs> and it was just like so wild to me. I, I knew, I mean, of all of the days and all of the shifts and all of the rooms that each nurse is assigned to, Like she was our nurse and I had become like intimately aware of like her family and her and like what she feeds her children (laughs) in the days prior. And I just felt like I knew this person and here she was like taking care of my child. And Mm. it was, it was a sign, like it was a sign that God was aware of us. And yeah, you knew your nurse. 
I know my nurse. (laughs) At that difficult time. Yes. Amazing. It was just enough like comfort and security to feel okay going through that like really hard thing. These types of experiences are what I think Elder Bednar was talking about when he said, some may count this experience as simply a nice coincidence, but I testify that the tender mercies of the Lord are real and that they do not occur randomly or merely by coincidence. So I've thought about the phrase tender mercies quite a bit this week as I've been kind of researching for this episode. It's one of those phrases we love yes, to like use. The LDS buzz term of the oh yeah 21st of century the hour yes we love it <laughs> and i was like where did it come from did we just like make that up is that church culture <laughs> no it is not it has scriptural provenance it's all over both the book of mormon and the bible it's in psalms all over the place they talk about tender mercies in the book of mormon this is what elder gong said about it when we look with an eye of faith for the patterns arc or connected dots of our experience we can see his tender mercies and encouragement especially in our trials sorrows and challenges as well as in our joys so i kind of think of especially when you look at it in reference to this definition tender mercies are like a form of a sign from heaven specifically to comfort or to reassure, just let us know that like heaven's aware of us, which sometimes that is really what we need. We had an experience like this on a family trip a few years ago. So my dad had passed away in December, and we, the next June, went to Yellowstone. This was something, it was like the family tradition. My parents had spent their honeymoon in Yellowstone like 50 years before and had gone literally almost every single year. There were a couple of years that they missed because of like serious illness every summer for the rest of their married lives. And it was just this family tradition. It's a magical place. We love it there. So we started the trip in Roosevelt, which is the north part of the park. It's quieter, smaller, not as many people stay there. And when we were checking in in the lodge, they uh, assigned us a couple of these little, they call them Rough Rider cabins. It's basically like camping with a floor. <laughs> and Aww. we went into our, they're great. Uh, we went into our cabins and the one that I was assigned to, my family, I walked in and I found this little like box of huckleberry flavored chocolates on the bed and it had a note and I thought, oh, is this just like a thing they're doing? Like this summer, like we've never had this kind of luxury experience. <laughs> the national parks are stepping up their game. Right? <laughs> and I I started to read the note and like it was for my mom. It was like a handwritten note talking about how they were, she was being welcomed to the park after 50 years of tradition with the embrace of her family and I was like, oh my gosh, this is unreal. Like, my dad must have like arranged for this because who did this? And so we gave, we gave it to my mom. She was totally overcome with happiness and emotion. And we went back into the front desk and we were thanking them like about this amazing thing. And like no one even knew what we were talking about. Like no what? one had a clue about it. And I said to my brother-in-law, like, my dad must have arranged this because 
he had called when he was on hospice. He knew he wouldn't be there in the summer. And he had called Yellowstone to change the reservation from his name to my mom's name. And he said, no, I asked her about it. And she said that she was sitting right next to him when, when he made the call. And he didn't say anything about anything. He just changed it to her name. So it was like this amazing, it just felt like a sign from beyond the veil of like, like my dad was allowed to like give us a big howdy and, and my mom just felt like loved and seen. And then after a couple of days, we went south in the park to Old Faithful, which is like this bustling metropolis in the national park. Like they drop off the tour buses there and it's, there's a lot of people, there's a lot going on at Old Faithful. And it was like the same thing. There was this little gift in her room with a handwritten note talking about how she was being welcomed back in, you know, after this like lovely tradition. And once again, she felt this like confirmation that she was seen. And we talked to the front desk about it and no one knew what we were talking about. Like nobody had any inkling of what we were referencing. That's amazing. I know it happened twice and we couldn't explain it. I mean, I'm sure a skeptic could find a way, (laughs) but we just saw it as, as a sign, like this beautiful, tender mercy from heaven. Like our dad, my mom's husband was not physically with us, but like he was there with us on the trip. For sure. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. And while I think that we're all able to receive these types of signs, like tender mercies, gifts from heaven, we learn in the Book of Mormon that they're given to people who are faithful, faith-filled. In First Nephi chapter 1, it says, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Something that kind of like blew my mind in this verse is that it says that tender mercies will make us mighty. They'll give us power, the power of deliverance, which was kind of a game changer for me. I, I tend to think of tender mercies as like a, a sweet thing, a gentle thing, a, a quiet, gentle gift, which, I mean, I think it still can be. But the scriptures are telling us that tender mercies are something that make us strong and able to find deliverance. I mean, that's really powerful. So powerful. Yeah, but like when I read the Book of Mormon, I mean, this reading this year, I this stood out to me too, that I always had that same idea of them being just like a sweet evidence of God's love. And the power of deliverance is Jesus, right? Like, yeah, that's our power of deliverance. We don't have that like ourselves. So they're really things that bring us to Jesus who will deliver us. They're not just like, I love you. <laughs> have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it can be like a love letter from heaven, yeah, but, it, but it's more than that. If we have the eyes to see it, then it will direct us to Jesus.
So sometimes I think of tender mercies as the thing that gives us the courage to move in the direction that we need to. So my daughter, Betty, has to take medication for several different things. She had a really, really hard time taking medications orally. Like, I mean, just like any other little kid, like pills are a challenge and liquid tastes like chemicals and disgustingness. So I couldn't fault her for hating <laughs> for hating it, but she also like really, really needed to take her medication to be okay and safe and healthy. But she was not getting her medication. Like it got to a point where she would she was just like rejecting all food and drink because she was anticipating that we had spiked them with medication, which is exactly what we were doing. <laughs> and <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. It's so hard. We tried so many things. I like froze it into Otter Pops. I like made jello shots. (laughs) I like she hated all of it. Mixed it into Kool-Aid. Like none of it. It I would put her little pills in her bananas. It was not working. At the same time, Betty's geneticist had referred us to a Chinese medicine doctor for some of her gastrointestinal issues. So one of the things that she did was she would put these little like metal beads on either Mm -hmm. side of her belly button and then like stick them down with like a sticker, like a almost like a Band-Aid. And when she did it the first time, I was like, I give it five seconds. Like Betty is going to rip those off. And to my shock, she did not touch them. And they were supposed to stay on for like two weeks. I think they lasted at least a week. She just like didn't bother them. And we would go back to this doctor like every two weeks and she would put new ones on and Betty just like never messed with them. And I was like really surprised and happy and like they kind of helped with the issues that they were meant to help with, but not really. Um, As we were doing this like treatment with the little beads and the stickers. (laughs) Sounds like a craft project. (laughs) So high tech. (laughs) We met with Betty's comprehensive care doctor, who, upon hearing her struggles with taking medication, said, maybe it's time for us to look at getting Betty a G-tube, which is a little button that they put in her stomach, and then you can, like, hook a little tube up to it in a syringe and just shoot the medication directly into her stomach. And I was like, what? That sounded so extreme to me. While it also sounded ideal, (laughs) it was like, it just, I don't know, to like undergo surgery and have this like wound that you have to care for. It just sounded like really extreme. One of my biggest concerns was that Betty would pull a G-tube out. This was like a really legitimate concern. It's one like any doctor we talked to about this had this concern just like spending five minutes with Betty they're like oh yeah do you think she'll pull it out I mean anyone that knew her could see that this was like something she was capable of and we definitely did not want to deal with that as I was thinking about this potential complication of her pulling a g-tube out I kind of reflected back on these stickers and beads that the Chinese medicine doctor had done that she never touched and I just felt like this, I don't know, like comforting assurance that like that was the information I needed to move forward. And so I was like, yeah, that is kind of wild that she didn't touch those. So we went ahead with the 
surgery. And again, to everyone's surprise, like she has pretty much left it alone. She occasionally will kind of play with it, but she's never attempted to pull it out. And it has been a miracle that she can get all of the medication she needs every day. But I see like just kind of the sequence of events and, you know, our referral to this Chinese medicine doctor that kind of helped us, but not really. <laughs> but like, it was it all a purpose, though. Yeah, it served a purpose. It was paving the way for us to make this bigger decision about Betty's care and getting her exactly what she needed. There's a quote by Elder Rasband. He said, each of us is precious and loved by the Lord who cares, who whispers, and who watches over us in ways unique to each of us. He is infinitely wiser and more powerful than mortal men and women. He knows our challenges, our triumphs, and the righteous desires of our hearts. The great thing about that story is that you were able to see kind of the stepping stones of this path that you were on with Betty's health and like being referred to this holistic doctor and getting the information that you needed. And maybe that wasn't your stopping point, but it led you to the next thing and and gave you this peaceful reassurance that it'll work out. Betty will leave the G-tube alone. I don't know. I love that. And I think so often we don't just take one giant leap and then reach our destination of whatever it is, like complete understanding or (laughs) resolution to problems. It's like we do step from one stepping stone to the next. and That's mortality. It's just this kind of incremental progress. So as I mentioned before, um, my patriarchal blessing spends a lot of time instructing me on where to use my energies, like to be really intentional about like making decisions with my time because I have things to do and I need the energy with which to do them. I had a dream that I felt was confirming what I'd already been taught in my patriarchal blessing. It was like another witness for me. So in this dream, one of my former students had bought this enormous old historic house. I mean, I don't know. He was like 20 years old. I don't know how he did that, but it was a dream. And I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with old houses. I just love like the unique architecture, like thinking about all the stories of the people who lived in them over the years. Anyway, I just, I follow like a million old house accounts on Instagram. It's just like a thing I, I'm fascinated by. Anyway, so I was so intrigued by this big old house And in the dream, the house had been divided, not in half, but maybe like 60, 40, like someone had divided, had multiple stories and someone had like divided this house. And on the left side, it still kind of had like the old, like grandeur of this maybe like Victorian looking house with its like big paneled wooden staircase and just these really cool architectural features, but it was kind of falling apart. It was like in disrepair. And then on the other side, someone had like stripped it and renovated it in this totally sparse modern style that didn't match the house and looked just really just wrong. Like it didn't fit. It didn't like, whereas the left side had this big, beautiful staircase, the right side only had this tiny little metal spiral staircase to go up like multiple floors. And it just seemed really difficult. And I had this sense as I looked at 
both sides of the house and like walked through them that the newer like renovated super modern and it's not like I, I love modern design it just didn't work like with this house and it was it was representing something else to me in this dream that like this renovated side wasn't being true to the nature of the house like it was just wrong and it was like incomplete it lacked depth and then when I looked at the left side of the house it was so rich in like history and heritage and also potential if somebody renovated it and like put the effort into it and as I woke up from that dream like I knew what it meant for me it was telling me things about like how to organize my time and my life and what would matter in the long term and eternally and right now and what would achieve like really lasting, nuanced, amazing results. So that dream for me, I felt like gave me the long view of my life. Whereas before when I was feeling this tension with like, I don't feel like I'm doing everything I should be doing. I don't feel like I'm using my spiritual gifts and serving the way I want to be serving. So I had this tension that I was trying to work through and that this dream, I felt like answered that in showing me like two different ways I could go. So I think of this quote that Elder Gong said, that kind of illustrates this idea of like having an eternal perspective our Savior frequently opened eyes of the physically and spiritually blind, opening our eyes to divine truth, literally and figuratively, prepares us to be healed of mortal short-sightedness. I think that kind of mortal short-sightedness is something that is superhuman and easy to fall into, just looking at things like in the here and now and thinking that's all there is and kind of losing sight of the bigger perspective, which is something that President Nelson, you know, brought up in his remarks at October conference, he gave the talk when he talked about having a myopic view or like nearsighted and getting so weighed down in the burdens of today mm -hmm. or even just the events of the day, just whatever the day brings that we lose the ability to see what comes next, like what our role in that can be, what our potential is. This is one of the questions I had been grappling with in all of my prayers for a really long time was what I should be doing. Like I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my purpose. And the dream about finding my bag and finding my purpose kind of meshed with this old house dream. And it also referenced what I already knew from my patriarchal blessing. And all of these things were like multiple witnesses for me. They were signs. They were tender mercies telling me what God had in store for me and giving me direction on how to accomplish that. of this dream I had. I was sitting on the little sofa in my therapist's office. This is before I like went back to therapy and she had this big window and I like looked out the window and there was a cloud that was like a perfect 
elephant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was perfect. And it was really fast moving like across the sky. And so Ooh. we're just like having like this normal therapy session. And it, I glance out the window, I see the elephant cloud and I was like, oh my gosh, like you have to see this. And like in the time it took her to like stand up and like come. It was gone. It was gone. And <laughs> but you saw it. I saw it. And I think. Wow. <laughs> I want to like Google elephant symbolism. Yeah, what do elephants mean? Find out for me. <laughs> I will. Elephant symbolism. But I don't know. Sometimes Ooh, I think. Oh, what? Good luck, fertility, wisdom, and protection. <laughs> All good things. Also, also family. Family. Fleeting. Fleeting fertility. <laughs> It's like there for a very short window, but it's gone. Enough. <laughs> By the time you get up to look for wow. it. Yeah, but you saw it. I saw it. Yeah. That's what matters. But I do think that is kind of like these signs or tender mercies that we get. Mm -hmm. We have to have eyes to see them and we have to like, I don't know, be aware. And I could have second guessed it like, oh, is that really? No, it was definitely an elephant. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that is part of signs, though, is believing. Believing when you see or hear or feel something and not disregarding it. Yeah. Just inviting it. Like like President Monson told his daughter that the reason he had so many impressions about helping people is because he never ignored them. Right. He always welcomed them. He always responded and followed through. I think it's the same principle with any kind of sign or witness recognizing divine design in our lives. It's like noticing it and paying attention to it and accepting it for what it is. Yeah. Love it. Sister Michelle Craig in her most recent general conference address, Eyes to See, she said, my dear brothers and sisters, you too can pray for the Lord to open your eyes to see things you would not normally see. Maybe it's an elephant cloud. <laughs> maybe it's another manifestation of God's love for you. And maybe it is just like connecting the dots to kind of make sense of our lives and understand our purpose or understand that God understands our purpose. months ago, I was undergoing my last fertility treatment to attempt to get pregnant with this baby that I felt like God told us to have. And it was our seventh round of um, fertility treatments. And we had decided it was our final attempt. And I was going in for the blood test that would tell me whether or not it had been successful. So I was driving to the fertility clinic and the night before, Megan and I had recorded an episode on light, and I pulled up my Apple playlist of like new music curated especially for me. And I noticed that like several of the titles had to do with light and darkness. Um, some of the titles were The Dark, One Shot in the Darkness, Back into the Light. There were references to Moonlight and also like being underwater, which 
Megan had told a story about being underwater and in the episode we had just recorded and it all like caught my attention and I was like this is not coincidental like there's something to this and I parked my car and I was just getting ready to get out and go in for this blood test and I was scanning the other titles on this playlist and the next one down was a song called Mother, please don't be sad. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. And I was like, well, that's a little foreboding. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> but also maybe kind of comforting. I don't know. So I went in, I had this blood work done, and then they called me a few hours later and told me that the test was negative and that I was not pregnant. <laughs> These like song titles totally stood out to me. I felt really seen. I felt like it was a sign from my heavenly parents, like that they saw my struggle. They saw like that I was attempting to do the thing that they had asked me to do. And also kind of this sense of like, maybe it wasn't over yet, even though we had had determined it was going to be our last attempt. This song, Mother, Please Don't Be Sad, was like, I don't know, maybe there's like this little person telling me that. Maybe my heavenly parents are conveying that message to me. I love that our heavenly parents speak to you through your phone and specifically through your playlist. <laughs> Apple Music. My my playlists are curated by Apple and my heavenly parents. <laughs> and heaven. <laughs> it's a joint effort. <laughs> so all signs are part of our doctrine, part of our beliefs, and are available to all of us, they really hearken back to the beginning when the Savior came to earth. With Christmas approaching, I think it makes sense that we remember the signs that announced Jesus coming to earth, like the most hopeful thing that ever happened and changed the course of human history. So Luke chapter 2 tells us, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Hydrate. Get some sleep, take care of yourself, and dream deeply. You can find notes from today's show on our website, dreamsiclepodcast.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at dreamsicle.podcast. Click subscribe wherever you listen to make sure you never miss an episode.